A world of wonder awaits at Nemecolon. The Grand Lodge will surprise and delight with 56 stunning suites and five-star butler services. Indulge in libations at the Circle Bar and Study before you savor the new and enchanting Fawn and Fable restaurant, where the best parts of a traditional steakhouse and a fairy tale castle create a magical dining experience. With fine dining, a spa, and over 100 adventures, golf, art, and wildlife experiences, whatever your imagination holds, Nemecolon has the key. Visit Nemecolon.com for more information. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. Following the show, you can continue this discussion on AfroGenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, please like both pages. Well, how many of you would consider yourself an innovator, an early adopter? Well, you know, those are individuals who are the first to try, let's say, new technology the moment it comes out. Have you stood in line to be the first person on the block to try things out? Well, are you really staying on top of the latest and greatest technological advances you can use to aid in your genealogical research? Well, I cannot think of a better person to share what he knows about what's new in technology than to have Thomas McGinty discuss this topic with us tonight. As a genealogist specializing in the use of technology and social media to improve genealogical research and to interact with others in the family history community, Thomas relies on his 25 years of experience in the information technology field. Thomas now shares his knowledge of technology and experience as a genealogist with others through various forms of social media and speaking engagements. Through his business, High Definition Technology, he provides consulting services in the genealogy industry covering such areas as market research, education, technology, and more. As the creator of GenieBloggers.com, Thomas has organized and engaged a community of over 2,800 bloggers to document their own journeys in the search for ancestors. So let me give a warm welcome to Thomas McGinty to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Thomas, to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Thank you, Bernice, and thank you, and uh, greetings from uh, very cold uh, Chicago. Uh, but uh, it's uh, warming up, and uh, spring is right around the corner. Well, uh, yes, I'm hoping it's right around the corner because it's not exactly <laughs> warm here. <laughs> I'm forever but, the optimist, I have to say oh, that. Oh, so. oh, 
yes, indeed. Well, Thomas, I mean, can you really believe that we are already into the new year? And for so many of us, I guess we've been focusing on backing up our data and looking for new tools to help with our genealogical research. So, so Thomas, why don't you start us off with what's new, what's appropriate, where do we go when we start thinking about technology? Well, I think the first thing is, Bernice, you know, people don't, you should panic. Uh, don't panic. Don't think that you always have to have the latest and greatest. I know that you did that in the intro, but I'll get, here's a true confession. Here's the secret. I am not the type of guy that stands in line at the Apple store when the new phone comes out. Uh, uh-huh. I never buy the first, I never, never, never buy the first iteration of a product. And the reason is, why should I be a bug tester for Microsoft or Apple? I'm not getting paid for that. Why not let them work all the bugs out? I mean, in genealogy and family history, we don't always need the latest and greatest. Let everyone else suffer through it. Uh, so I think what happens is it takes a few months for that technology to trickle down into the genealogy field. And, and, and in a way, that's a blessing. That way we don't have to suffer through all the problems, you know, that, that everyone else has to. So not every technology that comes out is relevant to genealogy and family history research. Uh, and it's not always ready to be embraced by our community, which in a way I think that's a positive and a blessing rather than a negative. So well, the one thing yes, that I am seeing, I think yeah, you're right ahead. about that. Yeah, right, right. And so, you know, I, I sort of have a, a, a take-it-easy approach towards technology. Uh, embrace it. Embrace what you feel comfortable embracing. Uh, tune into shows like, you know, uh, research at the National Archives and other, other venues that have information about technology, uh, and, and take it slow. So that being said, what are we going to see in the next year in 2014? What is the new year? We're 10 days, 9 days into the new year. What is it going to bring us? The first thing is tablet computers and mobile devices. Uh, We're already seeing more and more genealogists purchase them. Uh, And multi-purpose devices such as the Kindle Fire or the Samsung Galaxy. There's a trend right now, Bernice, towards two-in-one devices. Uh, mm-hmm. sort of tablets that convert into a laptop. You've probably seen this on TV commercials where it's a tablet, yeah. but then you snap, you snap on a keyboard. That's what people are buying right now. They want to make sure, because we're not totally sold on the tablet environment. I know as a genealogy speaker, you're a genealogy speaker. We travel around the country. I can't run my presentations on a tablet. I have to have the power of a keyboard uh, and, and a, a laptop. So I need something that's more than just a tablet. Uh, But I really think this is why tablets are going to be more and more important in genealogy. It's sort of like a portable research assistant. We can have this research assistant at our fingertips. Uh, I know that when I go to the Family History Library in Salt Lake, I carry my tablet with me, and I've got my Family History Library microfilm numbers in Evernote. Uh, I have all my quick sheets. I I, I can load Ancestry on my tablet. I can have my database on my tablet, and it's a lot lighter, less than two pounds. Uh, it's a lot lighter than lugging around that laptop. So I think we're going to see a trend more towards people using tablet. Now let me ask you, Bernice, do you have a tablet? Do you have an iPad, or what do you have? iPad. Right. Uh, and uh, I love my iPad. Uh, I'll tell you how I'm using it. I have the Kindle app, the Kindle e-reader app loaded on my iPad. So Mm -hmm. even though I don't have a Kindle, I can read Kindle books on my iPad, and that's what I use when I'm traveling on an airplane on those long flights. There are two apps that people should know about for their tablets. One is called Cam Scanner, and I'm going to go ahead and put the link in the chat box. Cam Scanner is a a program that will let you uh, take a photo of a document, and it will scan it, and, it will, and, it, and so it will put it in there as part of your research. The other one is Ancestry has something called Shoebox. It was made by 1,000 Memories, but they bought out that company, uh, and it's called Shoebox. And Shoebox is neat because even if you, shoot it, uh, you take a picture with your tablet of a document or a photo and it's not exactly lined up, it will line it up for you. 
And then mm-hmm. you can add it to your ancestry tree right away or do whatever you want with it. So, uh, so I think that that is really uh, tablets, you know, tablets are where it's at. Uh, and that is probably the number one tech initiative in 2014 for genealogy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, I, it, when you mention tablet, of course, I always have to tell my little story about my eight-year-old uh-huh. granddaughter asking me about what kind of tablet did I use when I was her age because she has an iPad mini. And I said, okay. paper and pencil, sweetie, I didn't have a tablet. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh-huh. At least you didn't so, say stone and chisel. I would have said stone and chisel. That's what I would say. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's all yeah. I need to get her eyes going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, I have nieces and nephew, niece and nephew that are 9 and 12. And, you know, they these are what are called uh, the, the, the digital people. They don't know oh, yeah. a world before, uh, before, you know, streaming video, before cable TV. Uh, they don't know anything about vinyl records. Uh, they don't know cassette tapes. A-track tapes. They don't understand oh, no. how we used to listen to music, uh, or you know, the fact is we used to sign in with a Hayes modem that sounded from the <laughs> modem when we dial in, uh, and remember uh, Prodigy, remember AOL, yes, and, you know all yes. these things. These kids, these kids, and I call them kids, but they're digital natives. Is the terminology that they used to describe them. It's hard for them to relate to a world before the internet. Oh, they it's, just don't it's totally. It. They 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 are totally clueless. I guess that's why uh, the older person who's just getting into technology can go back to the kid and say, "Show me how," exactly. because right. they know it. This is life for them, and so right. I guess we we can. That's a, that's also a way for us to get our kids to be partners with us exactly, in our genealogy yeah. journal. Yeah. Now the other the other big area in in technology that you're going to see more and more uh, advances is DNA testing. Uh, oh, yes. I've done several DNA tests. Uh, it's a growth area. Even though we've seen one company, 23andMe, uh, they were forced to stop their marketing uh, because of uh, per, uh, medical issues. Uh, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, told them that they cannot market their test as a form of medical advice. Uh, in a way, I think that puts even more pressure for them to market it as a genealogy and family history uh, test. Uh, but the thing is, it's, it's, you're going to see these growth areas. We're going to see more webinars and educational materials related to understanding DNA results. Because you know, Bernice, it's not an easy button. Uh, I think people getting into genealogy think, oh, I'll take a genealogy test and I'll find out who my ancestors are. Oh, if yes, they look no for the magic button. button. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's not there. So what we need to do is we need to educate them with webinars and radio shows and other materials to say, hey, this is what DNA testing is and this is what you do with it. It's all about connecting with other researchers who have tested. Yeah. Uh, also, I know that Family Tree DNA, which is one of the other – uh, DNA companies. I'm going to post the link right here because uh, Judy Russell at Legal Genealogist just blogged about it. Uh, Family Tree DNA has come out with an X matches feature. So you're going to see uh, DNA testing has gotten cheaper. Uh, I remember, Bernice, when I attended Roots Tech last year, Ken Shaheen is Vice President at Ancestry for DNA, uh, and he said that 10 years ago, it costs $100,000 to map a person's genome. It now costs mm-hmm. $1,000. Now it's $1,000. It's one one-hundredth of that cost. And the DNA testing prices are coming down. Over the holidays, Ancestry was selling their tests for $79 with shipping included when it used to be a $199 test. So you're going to see those prices coming down, more and more people testing. But the thing is, what do you do once you test? You've got to go out there and contact those third and fourth and fifth cousins and see, especially when we have you know, certain ethnicities that rely upon oral history where there's not a lot of documentation, DNA is going to be the key to, to unlock those mysteries. How do I prove that I am from this, this group of people versus this group of people? It's going to be DNA. 
Well, so, well, clearly, and I've had uh, Shannon Christmas and Cece Moore on uh, talking about uh, DNA testing, and I hope those of you who are listening will go back and listen to those shows and specifically focusing on the autosomal uh, DNA, of which those tests have definitely gotten much cheaper. But clearly people do need to understand. They do need to be educated about what are they testing and what will it give them and how can they use it. And exactly. I think there's still a big void in, in them understanding exactly what DNA is all about. And so, right. I, you know, as you mentioned, webinars and and, and all kinds of lectures and blogs and what have you, that information is out there to help people, and I certainly hope that people are taking advantage of those opportunities to learn as much as they can about DNA testing. Right. So what right. else can we look at? Well, related to that, one issue that overarching, I think, through all of this, through any of the technology is going to be privacy. People, even the people that I talked to about DNA testing, they said, you know, I've done a DNA test, but I'm, I'm worried about the privacy. I'm worried about yeah. who's going to know those results. Is it, w will my insurance company somehow get a hold of those results from Ancestry or Family Tree DNA, et cetera? So privacy, you know, we saw in 2013 the whole thing with the National Security Administration, the revelations about them tapping into metadata and phone surveillance, uh, so what you're going to see, this is what you may see more and more of later in the year, something called personal clouds. Now, we all know what cloud computing is, like Dropbox, Box, you know, where you can upload your uh, information to yeah. a server. Now, people are going to start creating their own personal clouds with a password and login uh, where it sits on their own server and they can access it from anywhere in the world. They're not willing, they're not going to work with Dropbox, they're not going to work with these companies. You're going to see more and more people gravitating towards a personal cloud, which means that the data is self-hosted. I think it's going to take time for that to trickle down through genealogy, but privacy has been such a concern uh, that people are going to abandon uh, some of these big cloud servers and say, you know, uh, the technology is out there, the bandwidth is out there on the Internet, I can start having my own personal cloud. But when you talk about uh, personal cloud, I mean, you're talking about protecting your genealogical data, but what about all the other stuff that people are putting up? I mean, information well, just, that they're putting yeah. up on Facebook, yeah. information that, they, right. I mean, your well, pictures, you Google your name, you see right. all the pictures right. that you've posted somewhere else. I know. Now people I can know. find anything and everything about you. So let's talk a little bit more about this whole issue of privacy because it is a big concern that people yes. have, and it's one of those concerns that may prevent them from uh, using technology uh, the, right. the way that perhaps they could. So tell us more about this. Sure. Well, you, first thing is, Bernice, you've got to know how the platform works. You've got to know, especially on Facebook, there's a difference between posting publicly and privately. And a lot of people don't aren't aware of that. Now, I know the younger generation, in a way, they don't care. They don't understand yes, they don't care. Uh, that it does matter, <laughs> but they don't care. But let's talk about people that are our age. We do care. But the thing is, it's, it's very simple. You just go to Facebook and you, before you post, is it public? or is it private? And if it is mm -hmm. private, who are your friends? Who have you friended on Facebook? You know, this is mm -hmm. the analogy that I use. When I worked in San Francisco, I worked in big uh, high-rise buildings. I had a key card that I would swipe to get into the door uh, and on, on my floor, and I was always told that if I held the door for someone behind me, I better know who that person is that I'm letting in. That's yes. the same approach I take with Facebook. When I friend someone, I need to know who they are. I don't know if your mother ever told you, you better know who your friend's friends are. You know, who are you getting into a car with? Who else is in that car? Uh, who else is going out there? Or who is on that sleepover, et cetera? Uh, and, and God bless our parents for taking that time and concern. But the thing is, I take that same approach when I'm on Facebook. You know, when I'm friends with someone, I want to know who am I sharing with. But overall, you also have to understand that once you post it on the Internet, you have lost control of it. That's all there is mm -hmm. to it. I mean, mm -hmm. if you post a photo 
I mean, even if you post it and a friend, a friend could pass it on to another person via email. A friend right. could just right-click and save it. Uh, so once it's out there, you have lost control. I don't care if you own the copyright or not, if it's personal, if you had told the person it's confidential or not to share it, it, it once you hit that send button or that okay button or that post button, it is gone and you've lost control. And it's yeah. so much harder to retract and get that back. Now, you can be selective about what you use. Uh, Genealogy Wise is a nice platform for genealogists. They're at genealogywise.com. They're a little bit different than Facebook. They don't have a lot of the games and the silliness. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, but the, the nice thing I like about Facebook, Bernice, is they've got 1 billion users, and I can go ahead and search for some of my more uncommon surnames. And I have actually contacted people and said, hey, I think we're related. These are my, these are my ancestors. And there's all that possibility of connecting that you have to weigh that, that privacy issue against that. Uh, so, but I think that use some common sense, uh, make sure you understand who you're sharing information with, what you're sharing with. Uh, I've been told that human resource departments, 35% of them will research a candidate before they even extend an interview. They will research them on Facebook and that is perfectly legal. They're using the public version of a person's profile. And this is what the kids don't understand. They don't understand that's going to come back to bite them. Uh, you saw that case with the New York City firefighters and policemen that were brought up on uh, charges of insurance fraud yesterday. Oh, yeah. A lot of, yeah. That, a lot of that was proven through social media. The insurance mm-hmm. companies went and they said, hey, wait a minute. You're here driving a helicopter and you're claiming disability. How does that work? Uh, so the thing is, you know, once you put it out there, it means that people can check up on you. And and you know what, Bernice, it's not much different than our ancestors. My ancestors, 100 years ago, when they left the house, their lives were public. You know, the townsfolk, they knew what they were up to. Our Puritan ancestors, they didn't believe in privacy. You know why? Because if you needed privacy, you were up to no good. You were doing the devil's work. Why would Mm -hmm. you need privacy? So the thing is, there was an expectation 100 years ago that anything that you did outside the doors of your house was fit for public consumption. We had newspapers that were printing lists of hotel visitors that were expected oh, I, that week. Yes, and I've seen those yeah. lists, yes. Right, mm-hmm. right. We had also hospitals. They would print a list of people that were admitted to the hospital or who got out of the hospital. We don't see that stuff these days. But you have to understand, it was a little bit different. Now I think it's all happening on Twitter and Facebook, and people don't realize that they're leaving, in a way, a digital, I'll call it a digital paper trail, yes. what their activities are if they're not careful. Well, it's something that people need to definitely take into consideration. And uh, so we just need to keep talking about it. Talk about, hey, you know, know what you're putting up, know who your friends are, That's use right. common sense, and uh, and just, you know, do whatever you do with some degree of caution. Don't be so right. free. But, but then again, we don't want to close the door and not communicate at all. Now, there was a question coming out of the chat, and it goes back to your discussion about personal clouds. Um, right. Is that a better option? Uh, because some, some companies, you know, we talk about cloud computing. Those com- you put your right. stuff in the cloud, and next thing you know, the company is shutting down. So or, or the company would, is hacked, or the company gets hacked, and that happened yeah. to Dropbox. Dropbox was yes. hacked where for a seven-hour period, anyone without a password could go in and get stuff. So that's a big concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a, that's well, a major is, concern, yeah. Well, my, my rule, Bernice, is I never put my business or my financial or health information out on any cloud, period. So my, mm-hmm. my medical information, I never put it on a cloud. It sits on my hard drive only, and that's it. The, my financial information, expenses, taxes, stuff for my business, it does not go out on the cloud, period, because I just don't trust the fact that these companies either, A, won't go belly up like you say, or they won't get hacked. Right. So but I then you even had – go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, you mentioned you don't put your 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 personal medical information uh, right. in the clouds. However, all of our personal information is out there in the electronic medical records. Oh, of course it is, right? And 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 you know <laughs> that from your background, and and yes. and that's you know, there's not much that I that I personally can do about that. But you know, the thing is, if I was just diagnosed with a condition. Uh, I'm not going to uh, feed that by putting it out on my own cloud out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But but I think the personal clouds, it, there's a technical challenge. They're not easy to set up. You will start seeing some software programs that will let you set up a tech, set up your own personal cloud. Uh, but I think it's going to take several years for people to start embracing that. That's right. Well, Thomas, we're going to take a quick break and come back. There's some questions coming out of the chat. And, uh, hey, let's take a little break, okay? Great. Thank you. Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded by blog through blog talk radio and iTunes. You can also find the archive shows on my website, Jeannie B. Roots. And we have been listening to Thomas McKenty. Well, Thomas, we do have some questions coming out of the chat, and one of the questions concerns the cloud. What is good use of the clouds? I mean, tell us, give us some examples. Uh, should writers put manuscripts on the clouds, or, or what? What would you say should go up there? Well, I think what you might want to do is uh, I put my genealogy research up on the cloud. I put a lot of my own writing up on the cloud, uh, but I also make sure that the data is encrypted. So I choose a cloud platform that encrypts the data for me. So Dropbox is one of them. Box is one of them. Uh, There are third-party applications, most of them free, that you can actually go and download and use to encrypt your data as well, but I haven't found a need for that. Uh, so th- that's an area that you want to look at. You want to, when you choose a cloud platform, make sure that it's reputable. I would stick with Dropbox, SkyDrive, which is by Microsoft. Uh, Box is a new one. Uh, SugarSync is another one. And they all encrypt data. Uh, and also you want to be careful about sharing data. You can share folders in Dropbox, just like on Facebook, Bernice, understand who you're sharing your information with. And, uh, but, uh, but again, you are not, there's almost no protection if you, I know that Angela is asking about hackers. So if someone hacked into Dropbox's servers, you are not protected. And that's all there is to it. I mean, they could hack hmm. into your data. Uh, they could copy your data. So you have to understand that. It's almost like putting it out on the Internet. Uh, do I want to risk that someone could take that data? Now, I have to tell you, Bernice, I don't think that my data is that interesting. Uh, so again, I don't put out any financial stuff, no taxes, mm-hmm. uh, no finances, no health information. Those are my three big areas that I refuse to put on any cloud, even if it's encrypted. I will not do that. 
so, but yeah, the thing is, uh, Angela's asking, even if the data was encrypted, I, I just would not feel comfortable. Uh, I assume that if I put it on the cloud, it's very unlikely that there's going to be a hacker. Uh, even on some of these big hacking attempts, like the Dropbox one last year, uh, I was not one of the people that was hit because they have so many users. Uh, but you have to understand that's part of the risk. That's part of the risk of having the convenience of being able to use a cloud. Yes, yes. Well, take us through some of the other um, technological advances that we should consider and yeah, use. Well, one of the areas, yeah, one of the areas that you're going to see, uh, in fact, is is uh, is already started. Is the whole idea of big data. Uh, those are the two words that are important, and predictive data. When I say big data, look at it this way. Ancestry is sitting on 10 billion, that's with a B, records. And isn't it amazing that we can go and use their search engine and usually find what we need? Uh, and, and, you know, that takes work. That takes indexing. Uh, there's a lot of work involved in making 10 billion records manageable. Uh, that's what it all is all about. It's about these companies acquiring more and more data sets. So I think you're going to see Ancestry and other companies start to re-index some of the censuses and other data sets that were originally indexed. Uh, they're going back and they're saying, we're going to index more fields because the more fields you can index on a census, the more ways people can connect the dots. It's yes. all about connecting yes. the dots. So the nice thing is that's what, you know, FamilySearch did index the 1940 census. We had volunteers. They did it in a record 123 days. But Ancestry did their own index because they decided to index more fields than what FamilySearch decided to index. Mm -hmm. The other mm -hmm. thing is Ancestry has this new story view, and I'm going to post the link there. Uh, what they're doing is if you've not seen story view on Ancestry, what it does is it takes all the data in your tree for a certain ancestor and it puts it into a narrative format. So it's taking those big data points that's hard. To, you look at the data and it's hard mentally to make and visually to make those connections. But when you have it in a storyline, then you can start to share that with the family that isn't into genealogy as much as you are. So I think you're going to see more and more companies go towards making data easier to read, to use. And then you're also going to see pinning. I have now, are uh, you 2013. Also, yeah. yeah, talking Go about, ahead. I mean, so they're going to be adding, let's say, story view, and more and more people will have this opportunity to see the timelines and what have you. But right. are you also talking about costs increasing uh, as a result of I, I don't think, the new I don't technology? Think so. I don't think so. I don't think the cost will go up, and the reason is this is Ancestry, my heritage, find my past. Their biggest concern is what we call churn, C-H-U-R-N. They don't want to lose subscribers. That is what, that is what they peg their success on. Uh, the fewer people that leave each month, the better. That's their, that's their benchmark for success. So how am I going to keep people on the Ancestry website? If I'm, just, if I'm not serving up new data sets, then I need to serve up new ways to look at the data. So I don't think it behooves them to increase the price. They need to, they need to add new features to keep me coming back to Ancestry or to MyHeritage. Uh, it's, it's one of those, that's what it is. It's like shopping at a store. You know, I go to Home Goods, but if Home Goods doesn't have new stuff in every month, I'm not going to keep going back to Home Goods. Or if they don't have, you know, something uh, that's new and different, casinos do the same thing. You know, if they don't have a new contest or a new game at a casino, they're not going to see people coming back. They want people to stay. Uh, yes, they want new people coming in, but you know what? It costs money, marketing money, to recruit a new person. It, it costs much less to keep someone in the ancestry family and you do that by adding new features like story view. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So the other area you're going to see also is pinning, like Pinterest, pinning to oh, maps. Yes. 
pinning yeah. on Google Maps. Right now, Ancestry does not allow you to pin uh, records that you find on the census, etc. Because, I, and understandably, you know, once you pin it, then other people can pin it, etc. So they need mm-hmm. to uh, get that ironed out. I don't know if they'll ever get that ironed out, but I can tell you personally, I have gotten uh, addicted to pinning. I think that I need a pintervention. Uh, Bernice, uh, because uh, it, it, it's one of those things where I sit and I find so many things. It, it works off the visual stimulus, and people are pinning old documents, old postcards, greeting cards, family photographs, a quilt. They're scanning uh, you know, squares from quilts, embroidery samplers, and it's a nice way for me to investigate all this information. Uh, so again, that's another fe- It's a feature. You're not going to see the price go up, but if, if people like pinning, then the genealogy companies are going to have to find a way to harness that energy to keep those people coming back to their property. But, I mean, is pinning for everybody? And, and I have a question out here. I mean, people need to understand sure. exactly what is pinning. Right. Right. Pinning is not like Evernote. Pinning is like using Pinterest. Pinning is this. If you have a bulletin board like a cork board, you know how you might cut out a favorite recipe or a favorite dress from Glamour magazine. You saw a scarf or a dress, Mm -hmm. uh, and you would cut it out and you would pin it up on your refrigerator or pin it up on on a bulletin board. That is what Pinterest is, and a lot of these pinning sites are. They allow you to curate information, to collect it, and to say, hey, this is, uh, these are things that interest me. Uh, so I have about, I'd say, 40 or 50 boards on Pinterest, and I have many different boards. Some of them are just silly, uh, humorous boards. Some of them are tombstones. Some of them deal with my New York genealogy of where I grew up. So there's no reason. The nice thing about pinning is other people can see what you're pinning, and they can get interested and share information with you. But I mean, does that take time? I mean, I I, I love. It does I mean, take time. You see you know, me. I post this, I post quotes I, all of the time, and I was I pinning my quotes I everywhere. I know. But I, know. I mean, you're talking about this pin intervention that you may need. But yeah. hey, can that <laughs> that can consume you? Because I remember when I was pinning, I was like, oh oh, I had to pin, uh, and then I just say, wait a minute, I'm just right. gonna post my quotes on well, Facebook well, and well, keep on going. Well, any of this actually. Yeah, any of it, Facebook and Twitter, all of this social media can actually eat up time and take time out of your day. Uh, It's a matter – this is the way I treat it. All of social media, including Pinterest and pinning, is much like a channel on a TV show in the background. I leave Mm -hmm. it on in the background, but I don't let it divert my attention and consume me the whole day. I will check in on it periodically, and it all comes down to self-discipline. I could spend – five hours a day on Pinterest if I wanted to, but then I wouldn't get my work done. Uh, So that's what you have to, you have to limit your distractions. You have to channel your distractions to what your obsessions are. And for me, they're genealogy. (laughs) You're right. You know, yeah, they are. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think many of us have that, uh, shared that uh, obsession. But there's a comment coming out of the chat from Shannon. He said, much of social media activities, including pinning, generate cousin bait. Uh, Public displays of data that attract relatives who have information you want and need. And that's why it's, and I love that Shannon said that cousin bait is one of my favorite topics. Cousin bait is this, is you're putting it on a hook, and the hook is social media, and the Mm -hmm. thing is you're dangling that hook out there, and so it does take an investment. It does take time. You want to bait that hook properly. Uh, You want to spell that surname properly. You want to put those Mm -hmm. dates out properly, uh, because if you're going to have that hook dangling out there, uh, you want to attract as much attention as possible. Uh, so, and now Angela's asking, well, how do you get the cousins to zoom in? Well, what I do is, is you've got to bait that hook and you've got to do it. Uh, you want to do it consistently, but you don't want to do it so often that you, you're on a soapbox and spamming. So mm-hmm. what I do is on Saturdays, Bernice, this is one of the things I do. I do something called uh, Surname Saturday where I get out on Twitter 
and I actually will tweet my surnames with the dates of my ancestors, and I wound up finding a sixth cousin five times removed who lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, that we had the same common ancestor. So you want oh, to use those wonderful. Key- want to use keywords like genealogy, pound sign genealogy, a hashtag. You want to use pound sign family history. Uh, you want to make sure that you're using all of that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's great. And Angela is mentioning that she has a family group on Facebook. And uh, other than going ooh and ah, something like Pinterest is like asking them to go to what Pluto? Right. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, the uh, thing is, Pinterest, Bernice, Pinterest is rather new. I think it's going to be two or three years until those people that have now become our family members that are comfortable with Facebook, it's going to take at least another year for them to be comfortable with Pinterest. Uh, It's all about trickle down. You know, the people like Shannon and Angela and you and I, we're we're sort of the digital pioneers for the genealogy community. We're going out and we're having fun. And then our family sees that we're having fun with all these new toys and they want to get in on the action. And that's going to take time. They have mm-hmm. to be in their comfort zone for that. Oh, absolutely. You are so right about being in that comfort zone. Well, just take us on to the next area. What do we need to be looking at? The next thing is taking – how are you documenting your own life, Bernice? I mean, here we are, genealogists. We're documenting the lives of our ancestors. But have you ever heard the saying that the cobbler's children have the worst shoes or have no shoes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the truth is, is that I don't spend enough time documenting my own life. My ancestors have left me letters. I tell you, I don't write a letter. I haven't written a letter in 15 years. Uh, my ancestors have left me written diaries. I don't write a diary. So who's going to remember me, and what are they going to have to remember me by? How are they mm-hmm. going to go out and collect all this data on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest? We have to talk about life streaming. That's the term that they're using, life streaming, streaming your own life uh, and making sure that you can save it. Now, most people don't know that you can create a backup of all your information on Facebook. It's very easy to do. You just go to the help screen, type backup, and they will walk you through the process of downloading all of your Facebook information. The other thing is I have a new program that I absolutely love. It's called the One Sentence Diary, uh, and I'm going to post the uh, link here. Uh, it's, it is a way for me to keep a digital diary. It's limited to 300 characters. Mm-hmm. So I basically write a few sentences or one sentence about what my day was like. And then I can go ahead and print this out if I want to. I can download it. Uh, to to another platform like Microsoft Word and actually publish a diary. Uh, But I think we should start thinking about keeping track of our own lives and how would our ancestors 50 years from now, our descendants 50 years from now, uh, how would they look at us? How would they even get that data? Would they know where to go? So part of the thing is, and that leads to the next topic. I don't know if you need to take a break or if you want me to go on to the next topic. I, I want you to go ahead on. Okay. It's called what I call life consolidation. This is my biggest concern. If something were to happen to me, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow by the CTA, uh, would my family be able to access my email accounts, my Facebook accounts, my Pinterest accounts? Would they be able to access everything because I am such a digital online guy? Have I left instructions with my family? So the fact is that part of my estate planning, I have a spreadsheet with all my logins and passwords. Mm -hmm. People need to start thinking about this. Uh, They need to start thinking about digital death. What happens after we go? Uh, What happens at information? It's kind of morbid to think about it. But the other thing is, think about this. Have you ever had to clean out the house of a parent or a loved one that either passed or went into a care facility? I have had to do it with my mother. Uh, And the thing is, how do you sort through a life? And not just sort through a life, but then how do you celebrate that life once you've cleaned out that house? Yes. So with the baby boomers, this is, this, is a big, this is a big growth area for vendors. Baby boomers are having to do this. Not only are they having to do it, 
they're starting to think it's like a mirror being held up to their own face saying, hey, this is where I'm going to be in 20 or 30 years. What, what am I leaving to my children? Are they going to have to do this for me in 20 or 30 years, or should I start to make it easier for them right now? Should I go through and organize stuff? Should I leave them information on passwords and logins? So we've got groups like the Association for Personal Historians, which are helping people. There's a group called the Association of Professional Photo Organizers, uh, Personal Photo Organizers, APPO. Uh, AARP is getting in on this. I mean, this is a big thing for baby boomers. Uh, you know, we're having to go back to our parents' house uh, and clean it out and organize it. And then what do we do with all this stuff? Because it has meaning. It has value. Uh, but then how do we put it into a format that really celebrates the life of that loved one? So that's an area where you're going to see technology coming in to help. Uh, at, right. 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 Well, well, one of the things, I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, also talking about leaving a legacy. And right. I, I know right. I had a, a, another guest on, on my show, and she discovered, I mean, just like you're talking about, cleaning out a house, materials thrown away. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, and yeah. so you, we need to talk about this, and I'm very glad that you, you brought up this entire uh, subject because it, it is something that baby boomers do need to think about. I mean, right. what and, is that legacy, and how how are you going uh, – how will people even access your information if they don't even yeah. know? And right. so, right. Uh, I mean, very, very good tips that uh, all of us in the genealogical community and just everybody – you have to think about it. We we have no exactly. choice but to, to give to right. give 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 a lot of thought to just what are we going to do uh, with all the information we have and how will our loved ones uh, what will they do with that information? Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break uh, and come right back. Okay. Great. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio, and this is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and we have been listening to Thomas McGinty. Oh, he has been sharing so much with us tonight, and we're at the last 15 minutes of the show, and I want him to just keep talking and sharing. As much. We want to pull everything you have. <laughs> Excellent. No, I can understand that. So some of the other trends, we've been talking about trends for 2014 in terms of technology. Uh, one thing that I'm excited about that you're going to hear more information, uh, Macabo, M-O-C-A-B-O, uh, they're at Macabo.com. They have come up with a handwriting recognition technology. That is, you know how, uh, you know, OCR is what's called OCR is optical character recognition. When you scan a document, it can read it so that the text is searchable and you can copy it, etc. Now they've come up with a technology that they're still fine-tuning that will let you take a handwritten letter, scan it, and then it will convert that to text that you can copy and paste into your genealogy database. Uh, I would love it if they could handle like old German or bad handwriting. Uh, I don't know if they're there yet, Bernice. Uh, but that is one of the things I think over this year and the next five years, that is going to be one of the biggest improvements in genealogical research. 
Ooh, that is wonderful. Oh, I, I wish I could have them at the National Archives with me while I'm going through all those <laughs> pension records. Right, right, <laughs> right. And uh, and so that's one area. The other area you're going to see is what's called wearables. Uh, wearables is uh, it's technology that you wear. Uh, I don't know if you have a Fitbit. Uh, Fitbit is something that helps you stay fit. It will count how many steps you've taken or how far you've walked in a day. We're seeing more and more technology that people can wear, and it gives us feedback. It gives us data. One of the other ones is Google Glass, uh, which is very expensive. It's out of my reach. I think it's $1,500 or more where you're wearing a pair of glasses. It allows you to see uh, an Internet screen, and they work off of wireless. Well, I think long-term, we're going to see more and more of this work its way into genealogy, where we're going to be able to put on a pair of glasses, look at a tombstone, and then get information about that person that's buried. Uh, we'll be able to what? pull up databases. Yes, I know it seems odd, but this yes, is the trend. Yes, wearable is wearable, uh, wearable devices that are going to basically say, hey, uh, you know, there's some data here that is of interest to you. And that the other thing is tied into that is called Beacon Technology, B-E-A-C-O-N. Uh, you're seeing this more in stores. Let's say I go to a Safeway or to a grocery store. I'm wearing or I've got a smartphone that has Beacon Technology. I go around the corner and there's a display for Wheat Thins and my cell phone vibrates and it pulls up a coupon for Wheat Thins because I'm right there at the end display, at the end cap. Now, why can't we take this technology and use it at, at libraries or repositories like the National Archives? Maybe I'm walking the stacks, and I've got all my surnames on my device, and all of a sudden my device starts to vibrate because I'm right next to a book that's related to my family history. Do you see what I'm saying? I so I think we're going to see more, more and more of this wearable, wearable technology, beacon technology, that is, it, it's a way of data standing up and yelling out at you and say, hey, here I am. Uh, I'm important to you. I can help you solve your brick wall. Uh, take a look at me. And that's basically something that we're going to start to see over the next few years. Yeah. I see Yvette wants to know, can she have a dress made out of it? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but, you know, sometimes it's a little scary thinking about beacon technology. I don't know if I want anything following me around and vibrating on me. <laughs> but in a way, you bring up a good point. That That is that sacrifice of privacy. You, In a way, okay. you have to put yourself out there. You have to sacrifice some privacy in order for them to understand who you are, what your surnames are, what you're interested in, what your obsession is, uh, and then – to, to sort of uh, to sort of bring you in to where that data is, uh, there is a line there where you have to decide: Am I going to put myself out there or not? But isn't that yeah. the way it is in life in general? Don't we have to just put ourselves out there? We put ourselves out there in the genealogy community. Uh, it can be kind of scary to do that, but there's so many more benefits of having a blog or putting yourself out there that you reap those connections that just staying inside your shell. That's true. That's true. But then, you know, as as you said earlier, you have to look at what 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 are you comfortable with? And and then Yeah, don't let anyone push you. Uh just mm-hmm. because it works for them, Bernice, don't let them push you into saying you have to have a blog or you have to have this or have to have that. It still has to be within your comfort zone. That's right. That's right. And so where are we now? So what else What else do we need to, to look at and think about that's coming down the pike in the area of technology? Well, the one thing that I want to close with that's coming up is Roots Tech is coming up in February. I won't be there next month in Salt Lake City. I will actually be on a cruise ship in Australia teaching genealogy. I know it's a rough life. Uh, but, uh, but the thing is Roots Tech this year, uh, they are starting something new. They're starting something called an Innovator Summit. Uh, which is they're doing this the day before Roots Tech on February 5th, Wednesday, and they're bringing together the genealogy, the business, and the technology communities to talk about 
what we do as genealogists and why businesses and why technology should be interested in what we do. Uh, mm-hmm. So the thing is, you know, genealogy and family history, you know, it's been growing and growing each year. But I now, 2014 is a year where business really starts to notice, hey, there is this group of really obsessive, committed people. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and, and the thing is, is that, that it's not that we want to opportunistically make money off of them, but we have the technology know-how to help them with their obsession, uh, to help them reach that goal of breaking down that brick wall or finding that ancestor. I think that's what it's all going to come down to is uh, finally I think business and technology are going to recognize that we are a big community. Uh, We're a very diverse community. Uh, We have different needs, uh, and they're going to start to address that and work with us. All right. Well, it'll be very interesting to see some of the new innovations that come after uh, the Innovative Summit. And certainly the genealogists who are there, I'm hoping that they will definitely represent and allow the technological community to understand what our needs are and how those needs can be met through their innovations. So, Thomas, any any last words you want to tell everyone? I'm just so jealous that you're going to be on this cruise. <laughs> Can well, actually, I go cruises, with you? <laughs> cruises are great. Cruises are great. Genealogy cruises are, are my new thing. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, again, in 2014, if you want to set a New Year's re- resolution of embracing more technology, uh, I think what you need to do is uh, you need to take a, take a go-slow approach uh, follow people like me or Dick Eastman or uh, Dear Myrtle. Uh, listen to the Bernice Bennett show. Uh, you know, go go towards your beacons. Go towards your leaders. Uh, ask questions. Be inquisitive. Do all the things that we do in genealogy, uh, and then only commit to those things that you feel comfortable with. Don't embrace technology because all the cool kids are doing it. Uh, and again, as I said at the start of the show. Bernice, I never buy the first iteration of anything. I always wait for someone else to fix out the quirks and the bugs, uh, and then it's ready for me, and it's ready for my genealogy. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Thomas. You have just given us a wealth of information. And there is a question that I must ask you before we close sure. out, though. Will there be live streaming from Roots Tech? Do you know? There will be live streaming. I have been told that the uh, the main uh, keynotes on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, which are usually at 8 o'clock uh, Mountain Time, those are almost in the big hall. Those are almost always live streamed. And then mm-hmm. anything else that happens on that stage throughout the day, I've been told that there will be roughly 21 sessions that will be live streamed on the Internet. Uh, okay. So there will be, and they will make an announcement. You have to understand, they don't make an announcement yet because they don't want to deter people from actually signing up and showing up. Uh, but they uh-huh. will be have roughly 21 sessions that are live streamed. Okay, and that well, live that is link, wonderful. Yeah, that link, that link will be on the main Roots Tech site uh, probably a few days before uh, the, the Roots Tech uh, event starts. Okay, well, thank you so very much. And I want to just tell people about what's happening next week. I hope that you all will join me because I will have a rebroadcast with archivist Claire Kluskins. She is a specialist in immigration, census, and other records of high genealogical value at the National Archives in Washington, D.C., and she will discuss the microfilm publication M1895, The Slave Manifest of Coastwise Vessels Filed at New Orleans, Louisiana, between 1807 and 1860, and there are 30 rolls. And these records are a part of Record Group 36, Records of the U.S. Customs Services. So please join me next week. I'm certain that you will definitely enjoy this show and you will learn. 
just as you have learned tonight from Thomas McKenty. So I would like to just say to everyone, good night. Thank you so much, Thomas. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research and the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond blog talk radio show this show is sponsored by your host bernice bennett bb's genealogy research and educational services llc and my website is www.geniebroots.com have a great evening and i look forward to you joining me next thursday thank you for joining research at the national archives and beyond blog talk radio good night everyone and have as I said before, a wonderful evening. Good night. Thank you.